is correct. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing what many fans consider to be the greatest Star Wars movie ever produced, The Empire Strikes Back. It is a dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet, a group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker has established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil Lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has dispatched thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. So begins the second chapter of the so-called original trilogy of Star Wars movies. Released in 1980, The Empire Strikes Back was a troubled and expensive production with almost impossible shoes to fill. When Star Wars was released in 1977, it wasn't just a blockbuster. It shattered all conceptions of what box office success could really look like. Industry and mainstream press wrote no small number of articles openly questioning if George Lucas could really bottle lightning twice and if all the money being spent on this production could possibly be worth it. That only continued when the movie came out. While many critics liked the movie, they often felt disappointed by it. It wasn't as fun or as funny as Star Wars. It wasn't great art. It didn't break new ground. It didn't have a clear beginning, middle, or end. It wasn't about anything important. It was, in the words of the Washington Post, quote, a good junk movie, end quote, which it insisted was no insult because, quote, there's enough bad junk to go around. The New York Times, People Magazine, The Daily Telegraph, and others were similarly dismissive. Fan reactions, however, were quite different. Empire was the highest grossing movie of 1980. It's the second highest grossing sequel of all time, the 13th highest grossing movie ever, and it currently resides in the National Film Registry. And it's easy to see why. The movie, it's, it's, just, it's just awesome. It was built on the same foundations that made Star Wars so easy to love, but it also expanded its narrative universe. It hit us with one of the greatest plot twists in movie history, and it promised audiences that this was, in fact, the fifth chapter in a much bigger, longer story that would fully capture imaginations long after people left the theater. The Empire Strikes Back is one of those movies that fans often have fully committed to memory, and I am dying to get into it now. So let's get started. With me today is Force Ghost, Chris Crenshaw. If you choose to face Vader, you will do it alone. I cannot interfere. <laughs> so good. Nebulon the Frigate Commander, Tom Hespos. I've just made a deal that'll keep the Empire out of here forever. <laughs> and scruffy-looking nerf herder, Joe Pace. Who's scruffy-looking? <laughs> Everyone, welcome. Before we get into our own individual moments of truth in this one, I'd like to address the bantha in the room and discuss up front the moment of truth for this movie. You all know the one I'm talking about. It's the one where, after battling Darth Vader, a defeated Luke Skywalker is told the truth about what really happened to his family. Vader's standing over him and says, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough, Luke says. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Bum, bum, bum. It is easily one of the most iconic scenes, if not the most iconic, in all of Star Wars. It's a plot twist that lands so hard with anyone seeing this movie for the first time that reaction videos of first-timers regularly show up on social media. And we watch them because although we all know how the reactions are going to go, it's as close as we'll ever get to that immortal moment when we first learned how Luke and Vader are really connected. It never fails to make jaws drop, makes eyes go wide, causes sharp intakes of breath. So let's get into it. Tom, take us back to when you first saw this movie and how you felt when you know Luke got the biggest truth bomb ever dropped on him 
Well, you know, I, I knew I knew the truth bomb before you know I went in to see the movie. And, you you know, did no way. Well, you know, we'll get into it, but I was actually the last oh. kid on my block to see Star Wars: uh, Empire Strikes Back, and uh, I knew that that was the one big spoiler I knew going yeah. into it. And I still didn't believe it, like until it like actually happened. And, you know, and, and yeah, it sort of set in like even a couple of minutes after the scene. I'm like, no, there's just there's no way. There's no way yeah. that could possibly be. You know, it I was be. in the same league as, as Luke was. Like, yeah, it's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> yeah. It's not true. But that hit me like a ton of bricks, man. Because like yeah. you have no <laughs> idea where the where the whole trilogy is going after that. You're like, yeah, all right, he's his kid. I, where are we going from here? Like, <laughs> a- anything possible now? Yeah, exactly. So, now, now, Joe, uh, was Empire the first Star Wars movie you saw in the theater? Yeah, it's the first movie I saw in the theater. Uh, oh, okay. So, so how how is this? You're five. So, I mean, did this scene kind of go past you when you first saw it? No, I mean, I remember I had. Um, I had seen Star Wars like on like that was like a movie of the week or something like that. Or, yeah. or one of the re-releases. TV. Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. Um, I, I had seen it. I had seen Star Wars, I think. Um, I knew what it was. And most of what I knew came from the comic books and from the, the books yeah. that they put out. Yeah. Um, they put out these big poster-sized board books with the yeah. story. That was like my Star Wars uh, grist when I was little, when I was four and five years old. And my brother was a couple years older, and so he would kind of talk to me about it as well. And so we went in and saw that, and I knew who Darth Vader was, and we had the figures. Vader was like this enormous mythical thing to me. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't even – he was like the personification of evil. And when you're five, that's a big deal. Yeah. And so I remember sitting there, and my brother was like, you know, in my ear the whole time watching this thing. And when he said, I'm your father, I, 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 I think I struggled to process it, but my yeah. brother was like – Dude, you have no idea the whole bit like that's such a <laughs> yeah. big deal right yeah and so, like i kind of always existed in a world where i knew that vader was his father so it didn't i don't think i had the same kind of experience with it that that people yeah. older than me had yeah um but um yeah it's uh it's still watching it you know watching when my kids see it when they saw it oh my god time. yeah um and it's uh it's good yeah, stuff. even though it's one of the most you know famous probably plot twists in, in movie history that's out there. It's up there with, you know, um, Rosebud or, Rosebud. or Soylent yeah. Green is people or, you know, I see dead people. Yeah. Or, you know, you Dan Apes, you ruined it all. You know, it's the way it's, it's yeah, got dude, that kind you of, blew it got, up. you blew it up. Yeah. Uh, Chris, how did the scene land with you? It, it was the most cataclysmic event of my young life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. This I is not hyperbole. I like, yeah. I mean, no, no. I like you. It was like I had been poleaxed in, in the theater. And, you know, I saw this movie opening weekend. My mom would have been terrified to yeah. not take me to see this opening weekend. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, who knows what Chris will do? He's a good kid, but there's a lot of stuff going on in there. <laughs> He could burn the couch. I think he might steal the So, so Tommy, you know, I I understand why why you didn't why you couldn't see the movie spoiler free because oh god, Monday at lunch, (laughs) that was all anybody Anybody in that cafeteria was talking about. Oh yeah, and and you know if you didn't already know, you know now you did. 
dude, that was still the course of conversation at my swimming pool the whole summer. I mean, like this endless debate over whether or not Vader was lying. Absolutely. Right? And talked about you it know, for months and months and months. For months. And I think and it's funny because you look back, search your feelings, you know it to be true, right? And like Luke's anguish cries because he knows he's right. But when you're a kid and you're first like you're stunned and you don't have the the luxury rewinding you're like how could you that, not know who your father is how can you not yeah, it's, yeah exactly <laughs> but you know it's funny so when i was like when i saw it i was 10 years old right my parents still had this mythological status in my head so i walked out of that movie like shaken I, about luke like how can you really be good if your parents are evil like what does it mean to have an evil parent i just couldn't like it was the stuff of fairy tales but like suddenly you had built up vader in your head as this guy Luke was going to destroy and like, you can't destroy your father. How do you, that, that's impossible. And so it was just like, it entered this realm of like moral impossibility for me as a kid. And I was like, I don't even know how this is going to resolve. I was completely just unmoored by it. I mean, it was, I don't think I ever really fully got over it. I was in the same <laughs> spot. Like I felt like if I accepted it, there was no place for Luke to go other than go yeah. rule the galaxy with his dad. And I'm yeah. like, no, that can't happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't let Vader win. I can't accept this. Like it's, it was that kind of thing. It, it had that weight, you know, it's it like it the just... most evil of the, you know, the yeah. villains that you can conceive of of that, <laughs> yeah. age, yeah. that age. Oh, forget it. No. And, and it comes, it comes like after this really fantastic lightsaber fight. I mean, Luke, you know, is not up to the task, but boy, he, you know, he throws down, he gives it, he gives it everything he has. And it's clear how outmatched he is, but like. Most you know, impressive. <laughs> exactly. First of all, I love that too. When he says it's impressive and then nothing really happens. And he says most impressive. Like, most what impressive. would you do that extra impressed him? That's yeah. what I've been trying for. 30 years to figure that out. Yeah, I, I still feel bad when I see Vader telekinetically assaulting Luke with just big, heavy objects, and he just right. can't. He, he's just yeah, so DCYF helpless. DCYF is going to give this guy a call, right? I mean, this yeah. is... Don't treat <laughs> your kids this way. Incredible stuff. So. Well, I mean, was, was this kind of, in some ways, the original movie spoiler? I don't know. I guess, like, you know, we, we pointed out Planet of the Apes, but, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't remember anything... It so was a, cataclysmic. So you no, know, I, I I hear you. It was a point of national conversation for years after. It's been memed forever. It's actually become one of the most oft misquoted lines in movie history. It's kind of like play it again, Sam, right? You know, because people often think it's Luke, I am your father, and which, which isn't the line. It's gotten so big that it transcends the movie and it kind of transcends Star Wars. And, yeah. you know, you cannot have seen Star Wars and somebody says that and you're like, oh, I know what that is. That's, that's a bad guy telling me that I'm more like him than I realize, you know, and it's, it's become... Right like cultural shorthand yeah it's like uh, beat me up scotty is never actually said yeah the mandela effect yeah yeah but the surprise aspect of it though i don't think and this is not the same level of spoiler to be honest with you, but i don't think until i saw the sixth sense did i see a movie where so many people were talking about how they've been so completely blindsided by a movie's ending and i'm just blown away by it but you know but but it the context is different but i think i think it took that long for me to go you know this is what i remember it being like after empire that or uh, crying like, game maybe Crying game, perhaps, yeah, but but uh, crying uh, game. There, there, there was a matter of it was like there was a shock aspect to that that people weren't entirely cool with, and so yeah, um, this, you know, this is more. Just it like was a, not as good a movie. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, all right, cool. Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way, because like this is all for everybody in the audience, right? Because we knew if we didn't talk about this up front, people are going to get like itchy uh, eyelids, like nah, like are they going to talk about it or are they not? Are they going to you know? And so we just want to do because we love you guys. We wanted to get it out of the way first and foremost. So. Moving on from there, I'd like to go to our, our first moment of truth, which, Chris, I'm going to hand off over to you. I'll tell you, for many years, your moment of truth is my moment of truth as well. But as I got older, I started to appreciate different things about the movie. But walk us through your moment of truth and let's get into it. Because 
by the powers i love this part of the movie <laughs> bill bill you and i uh were, we, we i think we both had the same top two thoughts once that was unveiled i i kind of i was happy to default to the hoth sequence the battle of hoth in particular and i'd like to approach it all from my own point of view when i first saw this movie so i was yeah. 10 10 years old and you know the first good guy scene of the movie starts with me seeing an entirely new luke skywalker yeah, he had had a car accident actually it happened before the release of the original star wars so at the time of that premiere i mean you know we just didn't see tabloid photos back then like yeah no we didn't now, really, so we really didn't. it never would have registered to me that he might look different so like it was a different person i until he opened his mouth and, and spoke into the radio, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't sure it was Luke. Yeah. It set me up like with a really unsettling scene at the start, you know, where I, I wasn't sure what was what and everything was suddenly really new. That newness is characteristic of the entire Hoth sequence because we see and learn a, a frankly incredible number of things. Yeah. During the sequence, we see Leia as a courageous, respected leader and a badass. On, on Hoth, she's clearly in military command of the situation, giving order yeah. to, the guys, to the guy with the five dots on his insignia. <laughs> yeah, right. Which, which suggests, yeah, that, yeah. That she, she's even more respected now than she was at the end of Star Wars where General Donato yeah. was in command. Mm -hmm. She only leaves her post after it's been destroyed and, and she's yeah. practically the last person out. Yeah. And uh, we see the beginning of her romance with Han, which uh, I expect will come up a later. Uh, in in the Wampa's Den, we watch Luke's first steps along the Jedi path as he summons his lightsaber to him with the Force, saving his yeah. own life. Then we see our first Force ghost. Luke eventually yeah. takes down an Adat with his lightsaber, a sack of explosive, and a salvaged harpoon <laughs> gun. Uh, before the before the Hoth sequence is over, we've seen Han Solo use a lightsaber to slice open a Tauntaun to serve as a survival shelter for Luke. We've seen these creepy probe droids. We've seen the scarred back of Darth Vader's head. We've seen the Executor, his giant super star destroyer, so next great. to which regular star destroyers <laughs> look like pilot fish. Yeah. <laughs> and and we've we've seen True. we've seen Princess Leia give the most ill-advised kiss in cinematic history. <laughs> Truth, yes. Then you know it all wraps up with the most amazing, awesome, ridiculous set of sci-fi vehicles that I had ever seen. Fights out the greatest sci-fi battle that had yet been put to film in the Battle of Hoth. Yes. Uh, the, the contestants included design icons like the AT-ATs and the ATSTs, yeah. the snow speeders that took them down. So and cool. I, look, I, I mean, look, why would you want a gun platform and troop carrier to be on long spindly legs that maximize vulnerability <laughs> against and, and, mil, and yeah. minimize speed? And, uh, <laughs> is the use of infantry really appropriate in this setting and against this opponent? And uh, why, why would a flying combat vehicle have a tow cable? I don't know, but it GD works on screen. Yeah, it does. <laughs> You'll be able to sell it to kids, man. And, 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 yeah. and I'll say this. The Snowspeeder is the only Star Wars single cruise ship that comes close to eclipsing the X-Wing. That thing is designed by Husqvarna. It's money. Yeah. And don't talk to me about the A-Wing because that's just a Yamaha knockoff of the Snowspeeder <laughs> with Starfighter <laughs> engines. <laughs> As a big A-Wing fan, I feel spoken to there, okay? <laughs> But your point is well taken. I hear you. <laughs> not, you're not wrong. <laughs> the, the Battle of Hoth is arguably the greatest action sequence ever set to film. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, just the shot of Rogue Two flying over Hoth's icy terrain as he searches for Han and Luke after yeah. their long, cold night, that yeah. would represent the entire effects budget for most films of this era, because it, yeah. was, it was beautiful. It was really well done. And oh, it's yeah. a throwaway in the context of mm -hmm. this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this brilliant, convincing achievement in photography was done with matte paintings, green screens, stop motion miniature photography. Yeah. It's all practical effects. I mean, allowing film compositing was still a practical effect in it, yeah. 1980. <laughs> yeah. uh, Lucas and Kazdan get the credit for this movie, but man, this crew was unreal. They brought it. They brought it. I, I remember watching a show about the making of Empire. At one point, you see this one burning snow speeder flying across the sky. You know, it just got hit, right? Uh -huh. You see it for two seconds. That whole thing took like eight hours to rig and shoot. I, I mean, the amount of effort that went into this scene is yeah. off the chart. I, you'd be surprised by uh, uh, how many people were involved uh, in, in terms of designing, building, animating, blowing yeah. up, and effectively filming those miniatures. Yeah. I checked IMDb and counted about 100 people with the word miniature in their credit. Yeah. There were yeah, several okay. people whose credit was optical lineup, which I take to mean getting things to look the right size against the background, yeah. especially yeah. along the camera's plane of focus. Yeah. And holy smokes, does it pay off. Those oh, guys yeah. were phenomenal. In the years after the original trilogy there's that there's that quiet time before the prequels came out but after star wars it kind of faded from view a little bit west end games had this great star wars role-playing game a lot of the source material developed for that game ultimately got folded back into star wars canon and an interesting explanation for the adats which did look weird and like clearly they were designed because they looked cool but they're talking about how like the slow plotting juggernaut like approach it was meant to maximize terror you know right. and like it, it wasn't meant to be effective it was meant to scare the crap out of you and i'll tell you even as a kid like for the first 25 times i watched this movie and you just see that you know these little four dots on the horizon like here it comes and he goes boom, boom, and it's just ominous and you're it like oh like something some, yeah, like something wicked this way comes, y'all. This is bad. And it is scary. And then, like, you see him coming closer. You're like, what are those things? Like, they've, like, red it's visors. Like and through the space binoculars. That scared the crap out yeah, of me. Yeah, because you're like, what's oh that? Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the foot. Zoom up. Oh, there it is. Like, oh, what the hell? Like, It also looks awesome in all the memes that you get in wintertime when people put it into pictures of, like, snowy landscapes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, in my neck of the woods. Exactly. Like, yeah, well, you know, exactly. There was a great video made uh, that was in the James River in Richmond. Uh, look that up. It's good stuff. <laughs> Chris, but, but, speaking of but, throwaways, you know, like how long do you actually see the ATST in the in the whole? It's like a fraction of a second that you see it. Yeah. Two little shots of it. One you know, or two shots. That's they exactly. have little ones. Like <laughs> that was yeah. my reaction. I was like, oh my god, they got these big, huge things, and they got like these little kind of half-sized ones. Like, yeah, holy crap! And like literally, if they got a second of screen time in total, I will be surprised. Yeah, no, it's yeah. really, it's really quick. I mean, but, but that's kind of what I'm talking about here, Tom. Like, like this, this movie was really overwhelming for me at 10. Oh, There's yeah. so much going on and so much new stuff being thrown at you and, it, and it's all sticking and you're just, you know, I, you know, I, I felt like a story was just being beamed at me from the screen, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, just, <laughs> I was sitting there sucking it up. You know, it, I, I was a sponge. There's also yep. something about, yeah. about Hoth too that the, the the beauty of the white background, right? The simplicity of it, and mm -hmm. everything is crisper and jumps. Like it, we had yeah. talked actually when we did Calvin and Hobbes about how Watterson would use like a uh, a snow scene and it would really draw your attention to what yeah. was going on in the corner. Yeah, and Hoth yeah. feels like that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have these huge washed out, you know, white backgrounds, and then there's one figure, and it just 
from an artistic standpoint, it, uh, it really pulls your focus. Yeah. I, I'm nearly positive that, that Calvin and Hobbes included ADATs at one point. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> it, it, I would be two X's driving them, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd be thunderstruck if it didn't. But yeah, <laughs> this thing goes right into the asteroid chase after. It's like a 17 right. minute block of nonstop adrenaline. This is like, you, you know, your little brain just can't handle it. But speaking specifically of the Battle of Hoth, there's one moment that as a kid, it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. And it was that one moment when the one rebel commander goes, fall back. And then the music kicks in. And you're like, the rebels lost. They're just breaking and running. And probably my favorite piece of stunt work in all movies when you're seeing, you know, the, the, all these guys are running in the foreground. In the background, you see this one ad at And goes, and just, and hits the snow. And this one lone rebel gets hit specifically. And it's like, he hits, does a couple steps and tumbles down. I'm like, they... They use their big cannon on one guy. That's how bad they are. Right? <laughs> like this poor rebel gets annihilated. But like as a kid, I was like, oh my god. And then, and then shortly after, you hear the you know the whole imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered the. And you're like, oh. Think about those guys. No. Go, go to the command center, and the guy says, the guy who's in charge says, send out the order to evacuate, and then get out of here. And then he takes off. And it's like he loves the poor radio guy there to send yeah, away. Radio, yeah. yeah, that's a that's a valiant radio operator. That's all I have to say. Yeah. You know, you no. Know, but but as a kid, though, seeing the rebels so thoroughly routed after the last battle you saw was them destroying the Death Star. It yeah. was a shock. I mean, Absolutely. it, it, it was a, it, yeah, it right? really. I mean, it, it you know it set a whole tone that this is what you can expect in this movie. Well, that's this whole movie. You know, it yeah. it, it establishes that you know that they are still the underdogs. They're still hunted. Yeah. Yep. And 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 they're still you know at best a guerrilla force it is a foundational source for the video game industry mm. from the time of the uh, the empire strikes back atari 2600 release this the this battle that game slapped by the way over and over and over a ton of them did that yeah. that game was like a better defender for atari yeah no, it was um, good really good the vector graphics arcade version from 1985 was fantastic and let you finally trip up the adats with tow cables in a simplified way. And, and then the, there's Star Wars Rebel Assault yeah. on CD-ROM in 1993. That thing was like playing the movie. It was, it was, it was astonishing. It was so much fun at the time, yeah. even though it's on rails. <laughs> um, eventually, you know, through a number of, of incarnations, we got to the Rogue Squadron series on N64 and GameCube. And holy smokes, they are just like being there. And they, they put you right in it. And, and it's, it's really amazing yeah. how often this setting has led to success in video games to me. Oh. Wholeheartedly agree. I'll just check in real quick. The original Battlefront and Battlefront Two video games to the PlayStation, which I played like it was my job. Oh my gosh, the Hoth sequence. Uh, we can get in a, you can get in a snowspeeder, and your friend could be in the back firing the tow cable, and you could do the whole fly around the legs and knock it over. I tell you what, first time I did that, I was instantly ten years old again, and I when it fell down, I let out a cheer in my basement. And you know, it's funny because when I saw this movie in the theater when that first attack goes down, right? It's like, come on, they blow it up and all that. That was the first time I ever heard a, a, a crowd of theater people just erupt in cheers and applause, right? Like, like yeah. seeing the attack go down, people just went bunkers. And then Luke, you know, through the, the, the satchel charge, the other one, and they went, they went crazy for that as well. And I remember like just 
feeling that energy again. And, we're gonna uh, win. We're gonna was, win. Yeah, we're, yeah, we can. We can do oh this. God. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, I remember it was so just cool. being so scared, like when you first see the ad ads and you see that, you know, like the first thing that goes through my eight-year-old head is that thing's gonna step on me. Yeah. And sure enough, you get that whole scene with like when when he's trying to go through the back of the the snow yeah. skeeter oh. and yank out all his stuff. It's I was like in my seat, like oh, oh my god, yeah, I thought no. he was gonna die in, like, in the worst Not way Luke. possible. I still feel it. Yeah, and it still oh, steps on the thing anyway. You're like oh man and, and you know it's like you know that it didn't like step on that snow speeder by accident they're aiming for it oh like, yeah, that's, yeah that's how that's how they do <laughs> you know? battle hoth also gives us the best dad joke of all time which is the interior temperature of a tauntaun lukewarm yeah. oh god <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> yeah that one for free man all right <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move to the next moment of truth, which is uh, which is mine, actually. And it's a little while later in the movie. And it's when you know Luke has left Hoth after the, the battle of Hoth. And he goes to the swamp planet of Dagobah, where he's going to meet Yoda, the Jedi Master. And he's been instructed by Ben to go seek him out so he can complete his Jedi training. He meets Yoda. His skills rapidly start to develop. He's obviously still got a long way to go. He's standing on one hand. He's balancing Yoda on his feet. He's telekinetically lifting rocks. I mean, he's like, wow, he's got a lot of stuff going on here. But then suddenly R2 distracts him because his X-Wing finally slips under the water, right? And Luke is like, oh no, he's like, we're never going to get this thing out of here. What are we going to do? And, and Yoda's like, you know, you know, everything you see is something that can't be done. Like, have you not been listening to me whatsoever? You know, and Luke's like, yeah, look, it's one thing to move a rock. It's another thing to move a ship. And Yoda's like, no, no, it's not. He goes, the only difference is in your mind, you know? And he goes, you must unlearn what you have learned. And Luke goes, all right, I'll give it a try. No, try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Luke is like, okay. So he, he goes for it and he starts, start, right? Right. And he starts lifting it up and Yoda's eyes go wise. Like he's, he's actually, the kid's going to do it. And then Luke just falters and it goes back under the water and Luke just comes back. He's just exhausted. He goes, I can't, it's too big. And Yoda hits him with this monologue that is probably my favorite dialogue in any Star Wars thing ever. And Yoda goes, size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm? And well, you should not, for my ally is the force, and a powerful ally it is. Life creates it, makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you, here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere, yes, even between the land and the ship. And holy moses that lands deeper and deeper with me every single time i see it. especially that line luminous beings are we it brings tears to my eyes when they re-released the movie uh before the prequels i saw it again in the theater and i'd seen this a million times but seeing it in the theater hearing that line i just the hairs went on the back of my neck tears came out of my eyes it just struck me like a like a thunderbolt in the heart and it's like he's right it's like luminous beings are we and it's just uh Oh God, I just can't, I just can't, I will never get over these lines. Not ever, not in a million years will I ever. It's just one of the most meaningful scenes to me in any movie, but especially that one. It just, it just does so much because it's where Star Wars starts to transcend. It's not just an adventure. There's a belief system big in there somewhere. There, yeah. I'll tell you what, it, it sure found fertile soil in me, for sure. In my opinion, it, Jediism is uh, like, well, at least among the most credible religions on the planet. Like it, it makes more sense yeah. than most to me. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend of mine who is a, a Christian pastor and is also a huge yeah. nerd. 
he has said that that Yoda's monologue there is a better explication of Christian dogma that they would want you to want you to believe when he's specifically the not this crude matter he's like that's the art <laughs> that's the yeah. entire heart of what yeah of what we believe we don't talk yeah. about it enough chris when you're talking about jediism i laughed not because i was i wasn't laughing at you i was laughing because i i agree <laughs> you know i mean i, I mean oh, and of course you do <laughs> well we know there's a the big thing said in 2001 there's a big deal about how in the uk they had the census right and more people cited jediism as their religion than people who cited judaism yeah now that is no slight against judaism okay whatsoever just want to be perfectly clear about that but and a lot of people who cited Judaism did they said they did as a joke but not everybody did you know and it's it's to the point where it's taken root you know and they're actually like I've read articles by theologians who talked about like why do people feel the way this and it's getting to Joe's point about how this philosophy provides a very handy lens for people to make sense of spirituality in a way that many other modern religions just don't work for them. Intuitive. These lines matter to me more the older I get like once I've had to say goodbye to people once I've had to experience loss, once I've had to experience and come face to face with my own mortality and the failings of my own flesh, you know, luminous beings or we are words that I can think of much worse words to guide me through dark times. Of course, the Calvinist approach of your midichlorian count. Is kind of- <laughs> <laughs> He's always going to bring up midichlorians. Always. Why? Why? You know what? Why? Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys have a choice. I can either get into my midichlorian thing here and now, or we can, or we no, can do an episode no. one episode. What do you want? I'm giving you a, I'm giving you a, a more episode. I'm you not got, sure you... it's even necessary. <laughs> I'll leave it. I'll leave it. <laughs> this no. whole thing, Bill. I mean, isn't it the you know the the payoff that everybody wanted at that age? You know, where you were like your your exposure to the force in the first movie. You know, like you get sort of like a taste, but you're really. Yeah. Like, Nobody's yet trained, you know, with a Jedi master for longer than five minutes because, you know, Obi-Wan dies. This is really the payoff and like what, you know, all right, now Luke's training with a real Jedi master and he's taking him through all the the foundations of this thing. And like as a kid, you've spent three summers now pretending you can move stuff with your mind. Like now (laughs) you were a Jedi. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know. from the guy who's been training Jedi for 800 years, like this is the payoff. Absolutely. I love that aspect of it too. My own counsel I will keep. I will keep, oh yeah. Chris, you know, with the X-Wing sinking under the water into the swamp, that, my friend, is why flying vehicles have tow cables. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would, it would be on the bumper. Okay. <laughs> Not in the back. <laughs> Let me hook you up. No. Um, <laughs> so you got to yeah, wheel I, that thing in, man. So, you know, I was watching the scene again this morning, just to kind of refresh my memory, had tissues nearby. I was already one thing I think that gets overlooked in the scene, perhaps, or maybe just doesn't get mentioned as much as it ought to, is that it is really easy to forget that Frank Oz is piloting a puppet during this scene. Oh, God. Like in that scene, Yoda is alive. I mean, he's absolutely I, I, alive. Absolutely alive. He is so expressive, and the way he just keeps looking and moving his hands around, and it's not just a, it's not just a masterclass of puppeteering. It's we're getting a guy who literally been spending his whole life teaching people about the Force, and when he opens up to Luke, it's like a veil parts, and suddenly he's basking in the majesty of what the Force means to him almost as if it's the, for the first time. And you see it in his eyes. You see in his expression that the force, as familiar as he is with it, there's still a majesty to it that he's trying to express to Luke. And that's just an immensely 
effect is seen for me. And it really makes me fall over the character of Yoda and, and what he's trying to do and what he's trying to achieve. To me, there's there's a bit of desperation to it. I think that, you know, look, you know, he's taught Jedi yeah. for a long time. It's never been more important than this pupil because he knows that it's his last time that he's going to teach these lessons. Chris had a very interesting back channel comment about all this sort of thing, about the desperation of Yoda. The big moment of the, the Dagobah system is not even Luke facing Luke Vader in the cave or in the tree. It, it, it's the choice that he makes to leave. During this conversation, Bill, to, to just tie this back to what you were saying earlier, when Luke says, you know, I have to go, more or less, there's a moment where the camera cuts to a tight shot on Yoda, his lips part, his eyes just sort of like, you know, widen, like, mm -hmm. like it's despair. But it is, now that I'm thinking about it in this context, it makes me think of Gandalf when Frodo says, I will take the ring. So you guys, do you think that Luke made the right choice or the wrong choice in what mm. sense because i mean there's different costs to each I, i'm i am i'm asking for your calculation in my mind he made the right choice like this was sort of luke's time to say hey you know what all this jedi stuff is great but here's how we do stuff you know in my universe and in my universe we don't leave people behind we go and we rescue our friends and that's what i'm doing and, and in that moment i think he showed obi-wan and yoda why he's like the special you know, central character in the film. So I think he actually, he made the right choice. For me, I always looked at it as he was making the rash wrong choice based on the wisdom of Yoda and Obi-Wan of like, look, you have to look beyond your two or three friends to a whole galaxy that is going to be consumed by evil if you make this choice in mm -hmm. this moment, okay? That it was, a, it was a selfish choice by Luke and it was an emotional choice by Luke. And one of the things that we later, of course, find out are that Jedi try to eschew attachments and they try to... They try to be rational and not emotional, but that's also a lot of the failings of the Jedi order that yeah. lead to the problems and the rise of the empire mm. are that, yeah. you know, attachments do matter and yeah. emotions do matter. And these things, yeah. you know, love is as powerful as the dispassionate exercise of the, of the force to that sense that if there's going to be an evolution in the force and, and the Jedi's relationship with it, this is the pivot point and Luke makes this choice that drives that, right? And it's like, is it destiny or is it decision? I, I don't know yeah. how to answer that, but Yoda and Obi-Wan yeah. are clearly the old force. And to Tom's point, this is kind of a new force and a new Jedi who can weave attachments yeah, helpful. You know, with the practice of force. And now, Bill, how about you? As Yoda and as Ben are pleading with him to not go, the conversation rounds to me rounds less on dude you're going to get your head handed to you right because vader is he's going to mop the floor with you kid you're not ready but it gets more to the if you go you'll succumb to the dark side they are worried about their own failures with anakin more than they're worried about the promise of luke and what he what he can possibly achieve luke is only seeing part of the picture and frankly yoda and ben are only seeing part of the picture as well and 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 the two are not completely connecting on that and that's why there's this this gap that's just large enough for tragedy to occur it's heartbreaking to see it because they're both they're all right when yoda and ben are pleading with luke to stay and finish his training a, they're ignoring the idea that he could possibly come back, which I don't really get. Yeah. But yeah. But furthermore, Yoda goes so far as to say, if you go help them, you could, but destroy all that they have fought for, you will. And yeah. that it, he is basically claiming to have seen the future there. He yeah. offers no other evidence, no other arguments. Yeah. And dude, I, I, I kind of 
feel like this puts Yoda in a really kind of messed up ethical position because he does not know the future and he should be able to admit that to Luke. Uh, so there's a lot of things he didn't admit to Luke. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, when Luke takes off, you know, Ben's looking up and he goes, that boy is our last hope. And Yoda goes, no, there is another. And that's like the biggest truth bomb that gets kind of overlooked in this movie because we focus on the Vader reveal. But like, wait, wait, wait hold it back up. Hang, whoa, hang on. Whoa, whoa. Another who? Another what? <laughs> you know? And, and and like Yoda never shares that knowledge with his only pupil he's seen in decades after the empire has arisen. He hasn't said, you know, there actually is somebody else who could fulfill this destiny. He doesn't drop it on Luke because he's, he's like, Luke's not ready for it. And they are straight lying to Luke. Yeah. They are misleading, de deceiving him at, at, at best. From a certain point of view, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like object, the objective one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. No, so, you're, you're right. So, but, but I mean, when it comes down to it, Yoda's in a really weird position. As a kid, I absolutely yeah. trusted Yoda and Ben's authority here. I, I, yeah. I understood Luke to be making a bad choice. And I understood the end of this movie to be a loss that Avoidable. was attendant upon that decision. I mean, while Luke's decision costs him a hand, it surely helps Han and Leia escape as well mm -hmm. as forcing Lando to defect the rebellion. Yep. If, even if only because Vader was distracted and his troops had been reportedly yeah. to told not to hurt anybody. And further, I mean, within a period of weeks or months, Luke's decision led not, not to the end of all for which they fight, but the complete destruction of the Galactic Empire. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. this is really a theme I've, I've returned to over and over in this movie. And Luke was, I think, maybe just more in touch with the Force because the... The Force is think, yeah, all about connection. I'll mildly disagree with you on the last part. I think Yoda and Ben were supremely good at being in touch with and understanding the Force. They were not great Jedi Knights. Where they failed was figuring out how to take all that is and all that could be with the Force and making sure its presence is felt in the real world. Because once they start doing that calculus of risk and loss, they start making really bad decisions. And I, and, I would and, say, though, that that is a, that is a feature of the Jedi Knights, not a bug. They are agreed, great agreed. Jedi Knights rather than maybe great that's in touch with the force. That's that's a good point because the Jedi Knights do have like an intrinsic failure points kind of built built into them for sure. But but you see that here where the same Yoda who gives that incredible luminous beings are we speech, he's not fronting there. He means that and he is in touch with the force in a very deep and meaningful level. But when it comes to guiding his only pupil who knows his friends are in danger, right? Like what point is there to having a communion with the force if not to do good on any scale, small or small or large? And Yoda's like, no, no, no. We and not to be honest. You know, and Yoda's like, but we only play the big game here. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Now you're trading lives, you know? And so at what point does the game get sufficiently big to, to merit your your attention if you have There's a also a, a key component here which is that luke has been a dagobah for about a week and a half and he's learned some cool handstands and i mean how i don't know how long he's been there but it's not that long. no we don't but it but can't be much gotta, but you gotta not, think not back long, to like no, you know they long. used to take, he learns a lot in a short period of time though <laughs> from their families at the age of three or whatever and train them their, right. yeah. their entire lives yeah. <laughs> okay <laughs> they, they can learn yeah, this right like what's the Rolling moss isolating, yeah. grabbing anybody off the street, and if they're force sensitive, then you know, pass them with a Geiger counter or the thing from Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Give this boy a sword. So I think, I think part of Yoda's fear was that Luke was at, and he says, Luke, you're at a very 
or maybe Obi-Wan says it, you're at a very difficult it, yeah. time in your training. You're at a very tender and vulnerable part of your training where you've learned X, Y, yeah. and Z, but you haven't learned how to control that. You've learned access, but not control. It's like You'll be tempted by the dark you've, side. You've given the soldier this weapon, but not fully trained them on how and why and when to use it. And I think their fear yeah. is we kind of opened his mind and now we're sending him off to be tempted by Vader and the Emperor. And that's mm. dicey, right? And, and, oh, sure. and they're be- they've sure. seen this movie before. Okay, but yeah, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, from a from a you know prudential standpoint, there there's no there's no question that that this is the wrong decision. But you know, in the context of the force, I don't know. I mean, like I I feel like Luke's guided. Let's remember that Yoda and Obi Wan are they're Jedi. Luke's not a Jedi. He's received some training. I think what they want is they're like, look, we need you to become a Jedi to preserve the Jedi order, which is everything to us. And honestly, yeah. if Han yeah. and Leia and Chewie and R2 and all these guys die, that is secondary to the preservation of the Jedi order, which has been part of, I mean, and again, I don't claim that that's correct. I'm saying that that's where they're coming from. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if it's about the Jedi or about the galaxy. I, Yoda's looking at a way to save the galaxy, but he's looking at the way that the Jedi would save the galaxy. So he puts a Jedi calculus on it. For me, that's... He presumes that, that no one else can anyway. Yes, and uh, yeah, and if, and if Luke doesn't do it their way, then Luke's not going to do it at all. And if he can't do it at all, he's going to fall to the dark side. Like, they had this huge chain of events already predestined for Luke. They just sort of don't assume he's got his own agency in these things. Right, and, and, uh, and neither do they attend to the future. I mean, yeah, which yeah. they have access to. Yeah, right. So. Theoretically. Well, we need to move along, but before we do, Tom, any, any thoughts on this? Because we've been kind of monopolizing the conversation here a little bit. I always have this, you know, wonderful vision of Luke Skywalker, you know, as prior to that last, you know, trilogy of he is the ultimate Jedi. He is and, the like, ultimate Jedi. Me, this is him just peeling away and saying, like, no, this is how we do things downtown, buddy. Like that's <laughs> always I am how with you, brother. <laughs> how we do things downtown. <laughs> I love it. I Be love it. around to find out. 20 years. <laughs> motorcycles. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's move on to the next moment of truth. Joe, this one's over to you, which gets into the other aspect of this movie, which is such a huge part, which is the whole Han and Leia romantic development. So, Joe, take it away. This is a slight pivot from some of the sort of heavy theological conversations that we were just having. Part of the beauty of this, this episode and what makes it work so well is you do have the Han and Leia love story that comes into fruition in this film. It's hinted at a little in the first one as part of the love triangle, you know, with her brother and, uh, and this other guy, the electricity between them mm-hmm. and Ford and Fisher bring such commitment and passion and charisma and, and, and the chemistry between those two in this film Lord. is so good. It is Hepburn and O'Toole in Lion and Winter. It is hammer and tongs that they go at each other and it's beautiful to watch from the very beginning it begins in the hoth corridors right and just the banter back and forth between them that they're playing with each other they're flirting shamelessly the entire time trying to look like they're not and yet they are and they're doing the junior high flirt right which is like uh, you know guy (laughs) says you can't live without me she's like oh yeah just watch me you know he's practically (laughs) snapping her bra yeah, <laughs> her, her pigtail, her long braided yeah, 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 pigtails on Inkwell. Like, come yeah. on, man, seriously. And, um, Stop. It, is, it is, I love the way they treat each other because it's second to none to me of, of film romances, right? And then it feels real, it feels very real. And what you have to remember is she's like 20 and he's like 30, 
<laughs> when they're when they're filming these. He's much older and much more experienced than her. What we see on screen is well acted, well written. There's actually probably some of the most realistic and best dialogue in all the Star Wars movies are between the two of them. Certainly, certainly. Okay. And we we you know we give Lucas a hard time on his dialogue sometimes, but he's on his game when he does when he does Han and, and Leia. Yeah. My moment of truth comes a little bit later when they've sort of started to openly reveal their affection for each other, right? And as they head to Bespin and like they kiss in the Millennium Falcon and she kisses him and when they get away and it, it's starting to become like, okay, this is a thing. By the way, let me just say, this is peak Leia. But Leia yeah. never gets, I don't care. You can take the slave outfit. You can take, you know, whatever else. This nah, to me, she is never, ever, ever more attractive than she is in the, in the Hoth corridors in her white general's uniform. Like she is, the most beautiful woman I've ever seen that I never didn't marry in those, in those scenes. And so they get to Bespin when he's going to get put into carbon freeze. They share this kiss and they get, you know, the stormtroopers are finally like, no, no, no. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of that. They, they give him a minute, but then they're like, enough of that. Yeah. And then he stands there and uh, one of the great ad libs, right. In, in movie history, she says, yeah. I love you. And he was supposed to say, I love you too. Instead, Harrison Ford says, I know. Yeah. So, so it's more Harrison Ford on his game than Lucas. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Ford, yeah. Ford saves Lucas from himself. And uh, and it's it's very much like it's it's from say anything, right? Like I said, I love you, and she gave me I gave him my heart and she gave me a pen. From Han Solo, he is saying I love you. It's like as you wish almost, right? Yeah, yeah. Then he gets hit with the with the carbon freeze. And it's just but the entire arc of their relationship, it's so fantastic, it's so much fun. Now knowing later what we find out later with the with the sequels how doomed it, it is, gives it this yeah. almost Shakespearean quality, right? Yeah. But there is no happily ever after for these two. Um, no. And to me, for however maligned the sequels may get, the scenes where you get to see them on screen together and kind of hug, yeah. and it's like, okay, that to and me it, was the high point of the sequels. Yeah, yeah. and they sort of like acknowledge how crazy they made each other because they did. And I, I like when you fight that hard, you love that much. I mean, it's it's like that fire burns awfully hot, and it often can't sustain itself. Seeing them part here was it was heartbreaking. Oh my god! <laughs> when I was dating my my first wife in college, um, a friend of mine and we used to go at each other like this all the time. And a friend of mine said, "Guys, you guys are like Han and Leia," and I was like, "Yes, thank you." <laughs> <Winning. It's> like, <laughs> No higher praise. Honey, put on the outfit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I, I thought that the, the pecan was actually in that scene where Luke ends up getting the kiss. Like, oh, you didn't see her in the South Passage. Like, that to me right there. Because, like, he's cockier than he ever has a right to be. He will take it right up to cringe. <laughs> and, and leave you there and that's one of the things that's i really so love about han solo and that whole thing that whole exchange you were yeah. busy probably la you know it's laughing up fuzzball thing but yeah. like that right there i think was 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 pecan <laughs> at the at 10 years old i was indignant that han might be aspiring to lay because she was luke's yeah 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 absolutely and and, yeah. and i i really yeah. felt that that moment at the end of that scene, Tom, where, uh, you know, after she kisses him and walks out, uh, yeah. Han, like, sort of pats him on the chest, says, you know, get better quicker. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great moment. It's such yeah. a great, great character moment. It makes you love yeah. Han. Yeah. Because you, he is invested, you know, like yeah. he is into her super hard. He really is. More and than he and yet, 
he loves Luke. And and, yeah. and that's one of my well, that's the great thing about this movie. It yeah. it all works. It's got all yeah. this great action and whatnot, but what really strings it all together are the yeah. character moments. There is a bit of an Arthur Guinevere Lancelot thing going on with this yeah. film, you know. Yeah. And and, and it, it 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 works. It works really well, you know. Your moment, you know, where you luminous beings are we. My moment that's like that in this movie is like Han pleading with Chewie that like <gasps> this isn't going to help me like yeah when like that is hey, really hey, hey. Yeah. It'll be another time telling yeah. a rookie that owes him a life debt like no 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 don't try and fight your way out of this yeah. one you got to take care of her yeah She's the one who needs you right now oh, like, right boom like yeah. right in the middle of an 8 year old's heart <laughs> Well, like, that, that's exactly like what I'm a meteor about. that lands. Oh my God, you're right, Tom. Yeah. But all of these characters' relationships have been deepened yeah. so much yeah. in this movie. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, Luke and, and Chewie, Leia and Chewie, yeah. Luke and Han, Leia and Han, yeah. uh, C3PO and R2D2. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, was... You know, in, in that scene in, in, in the, the carbon chamber, that's one of C3PO's finest moments. He's nobody's favorite Star Wars character in the world but he <laughs> is so hugely underrated for what he does for the series yeah. he is he's the grease that makes so many scenes work yeah that's a good point it's a great comedy relief in a movie that sorely needs it uh, only because it's so there's so many downbeats where he's on chewbacca's back his head's on backwards he's just like hectoring chewy the entire time you have a responsibility <laughs> to me <laughs> it's like hey watch the head you know it's like he's just so he does nothing but complaints the entire time it's so good and chewy's like not even like i can't see you. anything yeah. Turn around. <laughs> like, if, if if you look at this movie as the pivotal to the original trilogy the entire nine film uh, yeah, it, it all yeah, hinges here. Absolutely. It yeah. all hinges here. It's the pivot point, right? It is the but center. if you look at yep. this moment, the carbon freeze moment is mm -hmm. the pivot moment in this movie because you've got Han, who is uh, a born fighter, a born, he's going to find his way through. He's going to find a way to win. He's a no good swindler, like the whole bit, right? But he looks up and he says, We can't fight right now. We've yeah. got to stay alive because there'll be another day. Which is the opposite of what he wanted to do when they were in the Death Star's tractor beam. Yes. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, you see a maturation to Han, right? And but, but I don't know how many times in my own life where whether it's you're playing a game or in a campaign or whatever else, it's no, no, we're going to retrench now and there'll be another day. Like we just lost. Yeah. We lost today, but that doesn't mean you have to lose forever. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a yeah. keep the faith moment. And I adore that. Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And this is this is one of the heaviest scenes. I mean, it just as a fan of the movie, it never loses its power. As a kid watching it, you're like, it's just the whole world is collapsing all around you. It's just, it's it's so fraught. I think Chewy Chewy breaks your heart. Uh, Chewy, oh. it, it, it's it's all this. It's all so good. I mean, it's 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 so incredibly well done. You see him in the metal in the carbonite. Like, oh my god, you know, he's the coolest character frozen in this this metal slab. It's just so horrible. It sort of encapsulates just the the emotional energy of this movie, which is you know our heroes are always on their back foot, and I think I think this actually sets up really nicely for Tom's moment of truth. Tom, your moment of truth really kind of captures everything we've been talking about. So why don't you why don't you jump into it and take us away it's here? The end of the movie, but like I got to get there first. So like I, I can't leave unaddressed like the notion that like I was the last kid on my block to see the Empire Strike. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I had this memory of, you know, Kristen Jividen, who was this girl who lived, you know, two houses down the block from me telling me like, Tommy, you had better get your butt to the movie theater and see this before it leaves the theater. Like that's how late I was. And uh, I remember telling her back, no, like my dad's going to take me for my birthday. 
And you know, this this movie I think came out in May. And yeah. My birthday is not till the second week in August. So that's Yo. how I came to, you know. And, and the meanwhile, you know, like I'm 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 uh you know trying to fend off all the spoilers and everything yeah. like that. And like I wanted to make sure that I wasn't misremembering this. So I, I went to my bookcase and got my <laughs> book, which my mom, you know, wrote wrote for me to you know keep track of like all of my birthdays, for instance, and it says Aww. eight years old, John Allen Rivera and Eric Platt came over for dinner. Then you all went to the movies to see Empire Strikes Back with daddy. So my Aww. dad took us another yeah. movie. My dad took me to and some friends and, uh, you know, I, I, I Mr. I, Hespos rocks, by the way, just <laughs> official moment of truth, seal of approval from Mr. Hespos, by the way. Conan and like all the greats, and all the greats. Clint Eastwood movies he took me to. Anyway, while I did know that Darth Vader was Luke's dad, that was pretty much the only spoiler that that crept in. And, and yeah, I kept distance from most of my everything else talking is about that movie. That. Yeah. No, like it killed yeah. me to do it, but uh, I did finally see it the thing that hit me like a ton of bricks was like the very end scene of the movie. Like, you know, I had expected this just, you know, huge thing, just like star Wars or like, Oh my God, you know, Luke's going to save the universe and the rebels mm-hmm. are going to kick butt. And like all along the way to your point earlier, Bill, you know, it was like loss after loss. like they got their butts yeah. kicked in the battle of Hoth. And like at the end of this movie, you know, like, you, you you have this scene where Luke and Leia are basically standing arm in arm on the bridge of this thing, looking out at the galaxy. They're looking at, at Lando and Chewie taking off in the Millennium Falcon because yeah. the coolest character in this film has just been encased in carbonite and they're going to go chase him down. Mm-hmm. So they're there with the droids and they're just looking over this landscape and like it was my moment to just really take stock of everything that had happened in that movie. I was like, Oh my God, like they lost everything pretty much. Luke, you know, lost a hand. He lost, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, the the battle of Hoth was like just a complete and utter disaster. Yeah. You had this utter betrayal, you know, of, of, Oh, I am your father by, you know, Luke's mentors. Like, I don't think you could have ended on a more down point. And yeah. I, you know, eight-year-old me did not know that you could end a movie that way. And yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. God. This and is legal? <laughs> just taking stock of that was just, it, it, like, yeah. it, it wounded me at the end of that movie. Like, I didn't yeah. feel that way about a movie again until, like, I think it was, like, in Inve- Avengers Infinity War. Like, Yes, that, that that's what I was going to say. When I, that's the yep. only one I can think of that, like, took me to that, you know, that yeah. despair right there. Yep, yep, yep. And then, like, knowing too that like it probably wasn't going to be another you know for another few years that the next one came out so we could see like how this all resolves yeah like that's That's such a big part of it tom bricks oh yeah that was such a big part of it knowing how long you had to wait well knowing that you could never even guess how long you'd have to wait only that it was too long yes (laughs) (laughs) for 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 kids our age eternity you have to wait eternity for yeah. you have infinity years to find out what happened that, that's how it was that's how it felt that's how it felt but you know that was it they, that that scene where they're just they're looking out over space you see this you know galaxy yeah. formation you see like the the beaten up rebel ships going by and they're just taking stock of everything and you're like oh my yeah. god they got their butts kicked yeah really the empire did strike back like yeah, <laughs> yeah right i had the uh the movie books which were these big you know like uh 
you know, the big scholastic books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They were awesome. great. They yeah. were so good. And I, I remember having the Empire Strikes Back one, and the last page was that shot. I don't remember how what the language was, but I remember staring at that shot for, you know, felt like hours on end when I was a kid. What you're talking about with leaving it hanging like that, with like you stop a Rocky movie midway through the bout where he's getting his butt kicked and yeah. you don't know, oh, no, no, come back next time to find out, you know, what, what happens. <laughs> and they are very much on the ropes. It's okay to mess up your character. It's okay for them to get punched in the mouth. It's okay it's for them to knock down. Yeah. In fact, you have to. I think that taught all of us that from a very young age that, you know what, the, the canvas is going to meet your face at times. Yeah. And the great story is what happens next. <laughs> some, some critics were just sort of sniffing at this movie and like, oh, this is not a big deal. We don't have characters we care about. There's no meaningful, you know, maturation in any of them, blah, blah, blah. And I remember just thinking, did you see the same movie as I did, man? Because like, you I think you care about I, these people. I, I, what is wrong? Are you like, human? Yeah, I know, right? Are you a lizard person? <laughs> you are lizard people. Lizard people at the New York Times. I knew it. That last scene, it does matter because you're like, holy crap. Like, like the rebel fleet, like that's the first time they're in a safe place right is at the end of the movie right safe yeah, place. and that and, safe place is just the middle of space like, yes yeah, middle of space it's so far away you can see the entirety of the galaxy that's how far they're actually in intergalactic space they're really far out right they're as far from the thing they wish to liberate as they could possibly be and and, and the rebel fleet is not that big it's just a couple of ships really you know it's like there's not much there everything's just loss after loss after loss and it's, it's your chance to stop and like exhale after two whole hours of all this and then it sinks in like well where do we go to from here i have no idea you know and that was a terrible feeling when you're 10 but but i do know that lando is dressed just like han solo and i find it comforting (laughs) yeah right exactly yeah yeah lando's like we're gonna find that bounty hunter and and like wow lando's pretty chipper after all this let me tell you he hasn't he hasn't gone through the same journey i went through i know that much for fact you know (laughs) for a guy who just lost everything he's been working for <laughs> yeah true right true <laughs> well, you know, right. He's a, what's happening to you you know but, but he's a gambler here. like you've he's had that huge though. adrenaline rush from the beginning of the movie and you're coming yeah. down off of that as well as from off from the sugar high you know of all the right <laughs> if you're not <laughs> rock bottom the four the orange sodas know yet. like <laughs> yeah yeah true well you think i love about that scene too is just at the 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 button on that scene is luke with his new hand yeah right he is becoming his father right like i mean yeah. that's yeah like i mean it's a little on the nose right but like yeah. they make it pretty clear that like uh, it, oh yeah well they they had alluded to it earlier they showed you his face in the mask i mean yeah he's, but, he's not he's not more machine now than man but he's closer than he was at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know tom you know what i loved about the end of this movie when the millennium falcon finally escapes you know, with with Leia and Lando and and Chewie, they they cut to a scene of Darth Vader looking out from the bridge of his Star Destroyer, and he's just like, <sighs> and and it cuts to Admiral Piet, who who has reached this uh, rank uh, through force choke, um, seriously, and he is about to just crap his pants. Really and, and he's like, I'm gonna die right here, right now. <laughs> true. And and, and, so true. and Vader Vader turns away from the window for just like a second. He turns back and takes another look. <clears throat> and he's then like, he walks out. 
He's like, and, I'm I'm so mad I can't even force choke an enderling right now. I'm just out of here. I, I can't even force choke. I got to get this helmet off. I got to go back in my meditation chamber. This is done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Mad, but honestly, I think he's also conflicted. Yeah. No, well, no, no, maybe he proud. Yeah, maybe. I think he's conflicted because I think yeah. he is like, I just tried to reach to reach myself because they do have that whole like where they Father, forced son. Each other, right? Father, yeah. son thing. Yeah. And I think you're seeing the first like crack in the, the yep. Anakin Vader thing there. And I mean, let's not leave aside before we, I know we have to wrap up at some point here, but this movie is Vader at his absolute apex, right? Like, I mean, yeah. this is, I think, you know, you get him in, in Jedi and Return of the Jedi. Rogue yeah. One. Rogue One is his apex, but. No. Well, that that scene in Rogue One is his best scene. But it's a bonus. Uh, but, but it's a bonus. To Joe's point, this movie is peak Vader the entire time. I mean, there's a reason why we did do the Imperial theme in this movie and not the first movie, right? I mean, there's the that art iconic, you know, bum 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 a theme that is now a Pavlovian response for here comes the bad guys, right? It's Vader's theme, right? In this movie. So Joe, I totally hear you, man. He is astride the galaxy like a colossus. In the third one, you get you you kind of get the, the kinder, gentler. He's not scary in the third movie, uh, at any point. Yeah. He is scary in this movie. He is he yeah. is absolutely terrifying. I think Vader also knows that like the clock is ticking. He could just kill Luke, right? And Emperor would be happy if he did. He extends a hand to him. He's like he's like you can join me. We can overthrow the Emperor. We can do this. How about we flip the script and you and I run this whole thing? How about it, kid? Huh? How about it? And and Luke is like, I'll never, I'll never join you. There's that young kind of petulance, like I'll never do what you want me to do, kind of thing going on. That Vader realizes that like he wanted something, and for the first time in the movie, he couldn't get it. You know, and, and it was someone resisting something that he could not resist. Like, exactly, exactly. Like, like, and yeah, I think he's it, being presented with a counterexample that, yes, I, I think makes him look at himself a little bit. Yes, and I think they gave him a moment of pause. I think that's the greatest victory scored here is that Luke got under Vader's skin just by resisting him hmm. you know, and by by being true to himself by giving and 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 you know what he was given that moment that Yoda said would come, and Yoda said that Luke would falter, and Luke didn't falter. He was at his lowest, at his weakest. He was minus a hand. He was beaten. He was beaten down. And Vader's like, dude, I don't have to hurt you. You can just join me. This is all done. It's okay. And Luke was like, no effing way. I think I'll just jump down the bottom of Best and toodles, and he's gone. Right. And Yoda never saw that in a million Deuces. years. Right, right, right. No, he, but seriously. And it's like, that was such a great moment. And Luke's like, I think maybe I'll just go in the bottom of Bestman, wherever that may be. Bye bye. The, the look on his face as he does it is really interesting. Like, I, I think it's, yeah. it's one of one of Hamill's best moments. Like, yeah, it is. He's winning a victory. Yeah, you know? exactly. I can win by taking something away from you. And I'm going to do that, you know, and it's uh. It's just another fantastic scene in a movie of fantastic scenes that stretch out for two whole hours like a line of flawless pearls is what this movie is. We could do this for another two hours. For another two hours. We really could. But <laughs> we really, really could. But you know what? A final thought. Star Wars A New Hope is the movie that introduced the world to, to Star Wars. But The Empire Strikes Back, I think for a lot of people, would be the standard by which all other Star Wars movies would be compared to ever after. There have been nine additional Star Wars movies and several television shows produced since The Empire Strikes Back. And there's an argument to be made that the most narratively satisfying of these stories are the ones that share Empire's tonal territory of heroic sacrifice, of moral grayness, star-crossed romance, and tempered expectations. 
these are not easy themes to integrate into what is an otherwise rollicking space opera that trades on, you know, extravagant adventure, wild visual spectacle, and more than a little incidental mysticism. But they're themes that lay the groundwork for stories that stick with us in ways that really, really matter. Three years between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi was a long time to wait to find out what happened to Han Solo, to see if Luke would become a Jedi Knight, to know if Darth Vader was really Luke's father, to see if the Rebel Alliance could possibly prevail. To a 10-year-old kid, that's a third of your lifetime, all right? But the wait was well worth it because the things we're waiting for, they're the hallmark of great stories everywhere. They're characters we care about. It's about hopes that have gone unfulfilled and fears that have yet to be driven back into the shadows. You know, the Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars in general will always have its detractors, especially among those who see it as little more than juvenile distraction or worse, a headlong dive into dog roll cinema. And, you know, that's fine. Not everybody has to love this movie. But for those of us who do, Empire is more than a great sequel. It's more than a vital chapter in a longer, more engrossing story. It's the reminder that there can be no great heroism without an even greater evil to overcome. It's a reminder that great suffering is the unavoidable cost for great triumph. It's a reminder that our friends are worth fighting for, our love is worth dying for, and that no matter how dark things might seem, there is no power in the universe that is stronger than hope. For me and for a lot of other folks too, The Empire Strikes Back is the most important chapter in the heroic epic that shaped how we see good and evil and how we imagine our place in that internal struggle. That's pretty important, I think. Some 40 years later, Empire continues to have an impact on my life, and I suspect it always will. The Force can be funny like that. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. The Moments of Truth theme is a mashup of The Clermont by Flash Fluherty and a little help from a Texas Instruments Speak and Spell. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And for hundreds of additional write-ups of my favorite movies, please visit BillCoffin.com.